All right, so we, we are in the midst of a, a series in the book of Acts in the New Testament, and so we are on the third week now, and so we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, so if you have your Bible, your phone, or that sort of thing, the verses will also be up here. Uh, what's interesting is, is that about, as we go through this passage, it, uh, it really hits an area that I'm really passionate about, which is that uh, as people interact with... Jesus, I think a lot of times what we try to do is we try to put Jesus into like a category, uh, or it's kind of like we have a pocket God, right? You know, hey, you know, here you go. And, and, and that's what people don't like about that is it's religion, right? And we have religion because it helps us to systematize and it helps to understand things or organize. What's hard about Jesus is that Jesus was, wasn't about that whatsoever, uh, Jesus actually came and threw off the whole religious system. And so what people have done with Jesus for 2,000 years, in, in right-meaning hearts, is they've tried to now put him into something that is manageable. But the problem is, is he's God. <laughs> and so God is not manageable in the sense that we can put him into my pocket and I can take him out and show him to you. And so that's what this passage is all about, is, is it's about uh, really this unmanageable, uncontainable God, uh, Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So let's, let's pray together, and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for um, your presence today. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to use instruments and voices and to come together and to sing to you. And I, I thank you for that you respond with your presence, God. God, you long to be with each of us, and each of us is the crown jewel of your creation, and we may or may not have woken up feeling that way today, but that is your heart for us. And so, um, God, I ask that you would speak today, that you would move beyond our defenses, that we might hear you, and the baggage that we bring this morning from religion or um, bad teaching or all sorts of things. Um, or other people's excuses, or other people's stuff that make it in the way of us knowing you. We just ask that you'd move that aside this morning, that we might hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the whole, the whole chapter. So we're going to read it, and then we're not going to pick apart every verse, but we're going to hit the whole thing. So let's read through the whole chapter together, and then, and then we'll, go <clears throat> we'll go back into it. Uh, once we go here. So verse one, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, 
Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and then he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. All right. So as we, as we go through this passage, uh, here's, when we look at Jesus, this is, this is what's interesting, is that Jesus, we, we try to put him into like a place, like I talked about the pocket God, that sort of thing. But it, it's not just religious people that, that do that. Uh, you know, typically if I'm at a party or I'm hanging out with people or doing something, you know, typically they'll ask, well, what do you do? And I, so I've tried different things. Well, I'm a coach. I'm a teacher. I'm, you know, I've done those things and try to, because sometimes when you say you're a pastor, people, it gets strange, right? And you know, right away, it's like you're hanging out, you're having a good conversation. Well, it's like, well, I haven't been to church in a long time. And, uh, or, hey, I'm not religious. Or, and it's just like, it's okay. It's, it's, it's all right. And part of that is, is because they, um, they put Jesus into, well, he's, he's, he's at the church, right? One of the tenets of the Christian faith is that Jesus rose from the grave, is that he defeated life, death itself, and he rose from the grave so that not only he entered into a new life, but all those that would receive him would have new life as well. So he broke out of the tomb, right? He was dead, 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 and he broke out of the tomb. But what's interesting is, is that what we do, not just people that may not fit into the Christian mold or whatever, people, all people do it, they then put Jesus kind of back in their own tomb of their making, whether it's the church, like Jesus is only at the church, or Jesus is only at this place or that place. But actually, like at the parties that, that I go to or different things, guess what? Jesus, if he was here bodily, would be there. And guess what? He is there. And that's the, the message is titled, Jesus Got Out. And you're like, well, that, I don't know, grammatically, what are you doing here? But it's, it's an experience that we've had as a family. We, uh, we have a dog. His name's Scout. And Scout is amazing. Uh, just absolutely amazing dog. But every once in a while, <clears throat> less now that he's older, but when he was a puppy, Scout would get out, okay? And uh, when he was a new puppy, 
it was kind of like, where did he get out? He was so creative in the ways that he got out, and we wouldn't know where he would show up. One time, the boys were at the park across the street from our home, and it was a two-story home, and Scout was on the roof, okay? And how did, we're looking everywhere for him, and Scout's on the roof just kind of sitting up there. And uh, other times, he'd, he'd, he'd get out and, and show up in all sorts of other places. But that's, you know, when Scout gets out, we, we don't even have to tell each other. The whole family scouts out. And so we, one person's got treats and, and another person's chasing them on the hill. And, just, and, and he's having the best time of his life because he's outside of his parameters. When we moved to our home here, there's a wall in the backyard. And it's about, I don't know, four, four feet tall or so. And it's like, he can't scale that. Well, fairly quickly, he just scales over that thing and goes over. But when Scout gets out, it's totally different. Now, how does that relate to Jesus? is that if we have a Jesus that is just kind of in a place, that's not that exciting. But if Jesus is out and about doing things, then we've got something. We've got something that everybody has to deal with. So starting with verse 1, it's an ordinary day on the streets, and we see that Jesus is alive, right? He was crucified. He was dead. He, and then he taught his disciples for 40 days. And then, and then, and then now he, he's He's ascended to heaven, but he's still doing stuff, right? He's out and about. He's, I have a friend, pastor, he said that Jesus is on the loose. Jesus is on the loose doing stuff. So it was an ordinary day on the streets. If you look at verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Hey, Coop, the verses are on that other one there, bud. The outline. There we go. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So it's one day, so there's nothing special about it. It's just a normal kind of day. And that's something, too, you know, a lot of people think, like, well, if we're going to be with Jesus, we need to get religious. And our theme all throughout Acts is it's not a religious book. It's a life book. It, It shows how to live in the way that God wants people to live, which is uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing him, living life. So it's not how to do religion. It's how to truly live a different way. And it says that they were going to the temple courts in verse 1 at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So there was three times of prayer. So there was 6 a.m., there was 3 p.m., and then there was sunset. And so this was the 3 p.m. or or the ninth hour, some verses say. So it was the second time of prayer. And and some people say, well, why are they still going to the temple? I thought that Jesus was the sacrifice and didn't do sacrifices anymore. This would have been after the afternoon sacrifices, and they would have been going up probably to pray, but then also, too, to probably see what Jesus was doing and find how they can join him. Now, it was at the temple gate called Beautiful, and uh, the Jewish historian Josephus spoke of this gate, that it was, it was, um, it was 75 feet tall, possibly, this gate. Um, there's differing opinions about which gate that it was, but it was Corinthian brass, and he said that it, was greatly, it greatly excelled those that were only covered with silver and gold. So you think of brass, it's not as good, but this was the beautiful gate that they call. Now, look at, look at the verse here, verse 2, okay? Look at verse 2 here. It says, now a man, okay, so, and this is how he's described. He's lame from birth. He's being carried, okay, and he's put there every day to beg, okay? So this is what everybody knew about him, okay? This right here, a man 
He was lame from birth, carried to the temple gate, and he's put there to beg every day. So his friends or people, I mean, maybe they got part of what he gave. Now, the the Jewish people were very into the idea of alms. In other words, it was seen as something righteous to give alms to somebody. But he would sit there and beg, and, and there was a relationship that was there. And everybody knew something about this man. And as I was reading through it, I was thinking, you know, what is, I, I get that, right? And, and you probably do too, where maybe you've felt like every, everybody kind of just knows that about you, right? That, that's, just, that's just him. That's just Cody or, or that's just Sally or that sort of thing. But they know that he would go and beg from those in the temple courts. And, um, you know, you ever feel stuck? You ever feel like you've got all this stuff and you've got all this stuff in your life and you feel like there's so much more and you just feel kind of in this place or, and maybe you've been told uh, that you don't fit in. Uh, maybe you've been told that this is just, you know, stay in your lane, you know, kind of just be a good girl or a good boy and, and don't break out of this mold. That's how people associated with him. And it was viewed too because of, he, was, he was lame from birth. We know from chapter 4 that he would, have been, um, he, would have, he would have been about 40 years old. So his whole life he's here, and he's just put into this category. You ever feel like that? You're just put into this category, and that's how everybody interacts with you. Stay in your place. You know, in life, when you're like that, you keep hitting a wall, or you keep hitting the ceiling, and it's just, it's just into that place. Because you're thinking. It, it affects your thinking, how you see yourself and see the world. Now, in verse 3, it says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, here's the interesting thing is real life is happening here in verse 3 in in these verses. So now he, too, sees Peter and John, right? And now he puts them into their categories. He puts them into theirs because here's the thing. This guy has never been inside the temple courts because he would have been seen as impure. And so he would have always had to hang out. He was always debased. And these guys that are going in, they've got it all together. They fit into the category that God accepts or people accept. This, this all works, right? And, and here's the thing, you guys. We love to do this to each other. And it's not right. We love to put people into categories. And then we like to say who's in or who's out with us or who's in or who's out with God. What's interesting is that when Jesus came on the scene, he actually showed that the people that supposedly were in with God were actually on the outs with God. And the people that everybody thought were on the outs with God were actually on the inside with God. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a real problem. And they asked him the question finally, and they asked the disciples, you know, why does your master hang out with sinners? Because he would be at parties and doing all sorts of things. And so that's the tension that we see here. And, but this man, though, he has a relationship with Peter and John or who they represent. And, and, you know, he thinks that they have it all together. And, you know, maybe sees them, he depersonalizes them. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's for him to get what he wants. He manipulates them or asks from them. And so it's a depersonalizing. They've got it all together. I just need from them. And it's, a lot of times this is what happens with leaders or your boss or that sort of thing. It's just, you depersonalize. Well, they just have to be perfect. They just have to have it together. Or we do this with parents, right? Like, I thought I was brilliant. 
And I thought that my parents were just not smart at all up until about 18 or 19. And then all of a sudden I started to say, oh, okay. Now, now I have kids. I'm like, my parents were fantastic. You know, how did they do the things they can do? And I just feel just so unworthy and, and incapable most days being a parent. Uh, and so, you know, this guy at the gate, he wouldn't have had true camaraderie with Peter and John and their likes. He wouldn't have. He would just put them into a category. You keep your identity, I'll keep mine. Now, what we're going to see here is we're going to see healing on the streets in this every day, okay? Verse 4, it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So this guy probably usually sat there and he would have asked, you know, alms or he would have let him know what he was doing and probably just looked at the ground. There wasn't that personal interaction. So that changes here. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now the Greek here in verse 7 is more intricate than this, because remember Luke, who's the author, was a doctor. So it actually speaks of more technical terms of the ankles and the bones and everything coming together for this to happen. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts and walking and jumping and praising God. So the look happens, right? I mean, if you're, you know, you know when you're single or you know, that sort of thing, you know, they say, well, did she give you the look or did he give you the look? You know, in other words, you're kind of, well, what do you mean, what look? You know? And well, what does that mean? Well, it means they like you or they, or they don't like you or that sort of thing. But we've got the look for all sorts of things. Or like parents, you know, the, like kids are like, gave me the look. They're upset with me. But what happens here is the look happens. And, and it's that Peter, Peter looks straight at him, which probably most people didn't do. They maybe. And, and if you watch today, if you watch people asking for money on the streets, uh, it doesn't happen as much here uh, as far as I've seen as it does in San Diego, you know, because uh, the weather, I think. But, but it's just there's in San Diego, if you go or, or Southern California um, or Florida or different places, there's just a lot more because it's, it's warmer. And so you can do it year round and, and whatnot. But typically it's a deep, it's an impersonal thing. And it's just kind of, it's a transaction is, is what happens. And so, but Peter changes all of that. And he says, hey, you know, go ahead, and, go ahead and look at us. And so he gives him his attention, but, but with expectations. Because he's going to, you know, hey, this guy's calling my attention. I'm going to get something really big from him, which he actually does. But look, he says, silver or gold I do not have. What I do have, I give you. So now he's like, wait, what's going on? Now, here's the thing. As, as followers of Jesus, as we look at this verse... Um, we want to minor in the temporary, the silver or gold, the impersonal, the transactional. Okay, we want to minor in that. So as I follow Jesus, what happens is if I really know Jesus, Peter and John really knew Jesus. That's all that's happening. Like they didn't have to be trained. Like they didn't practice where, you know, okay, now Jesus says, now when you see him say silver or gold, they do not have. No, it's just, and then you do this. It was just, they loved Jesus and Jesus loved them. And, and they, they're going to express that to somebody else. It's like, if you go to a really good restaurant, uh, like being new to town in the last six months, people will tell us, oh, you got to go here. You got to go here. Nobody trained you how to do that. You, you loved the food there, or you loved that place, and, and you wanted to share it with me so that I could experience it too. So if you really love Jesus and you have that, you, you share that. And so when, when that comes about, the silver and gold 
is really transactional. So in other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give towards this thing or I'm going to give towards that thing. Um, Michelle and I and the boys have, have sponsored through World Vision children for uh, you know, over a decade. Uh, we have two now. It, we start with one, and, and uh, sometimes the, the person goes out of the program, and, but we keep sponsoring these kids. And we've tried to get better to pray for them and send them notes, and now you can send them emails and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, though, it's transactional, right? We give, they get something. And so we try to keep in touch, and they write letters, and we do, but it's, it's still, there's a language barrier, but it's transactional. Or uh, if we, like the food pantry, we, we give to. So if you give to the food pantry, you give money, you give, that's transactional. That's silver or gold. Now, here's the deal. That's supposed to be a minor, okay? That's supposed to be a part of it. Like if you have a minor in college and a major, the minor isn't, it's not some, anything to laugh at or anything. It's important, and it's a part of the whole process. But it's not supposed to be your major. So like the food pantry, in, in February, what we're going to do is we're going to set up some days that we go to the food pantry and we help the people get food and pray for them and do that sort of thing and help. So now, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're more, you know, we're going to meet some people face to face and do some different things, right? But even then, it's still an event. And so that's the minor, though, where we give of things. That we're supposed to do that, but that can't be everything. There's more desired. Now, the major, though, is transformative, uh, where he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, walk. So this is the authority in Jesus, the, the personal transforming. This is what we want to talk about. This is what we're supposed to major in. And you say, well, gosh, how can I do that with so many people? Good point. It's not supposed to be done with so many people. Your major is with a very small group. That it's your neighbor or your coworker or or somebody that you come across or somebody at school, and you pour into that one person or you pour into that one family and you pour into them with the authority and the love of Jesus. Or in the moments like this where somebody, somebody is, is sick or lame and, and you pour in and it's, it's face on face, hand to the shoulder, praying for you in that moment. That's you know, like the story that Casey shared today. Her doctor, it wasn't, you know, she met him in a, in, a, in a moment, but then there was this whole, it was transformative. He was involved in her healing, partnering with God for that to happen. Now, that's his vocation, his calling is to bring healing, and he's met, done that with many other people, I'm sure. And he's able to do that because that's his sole thing. But for you, it may be one person, it may be two or three. That's your major. It's not, I'm going to give it to everybody. Now, it says, this is a miracle here, right? So healing takes time. A miracle is instantaneous. So you pray, and, and the miracle happens. So it says that instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So you know, this, was, this is a beautiful day, right? Verse 8, it says, He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Uh, you know, he, and then he went with Peter and John into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. You guys, this is what happens when we cross the norms of society. This right here. And I'm not saying it's representative because absolutely physical healing happens. And we do it. We pray for anything. You got, you're sick. You got something going on. Um, you're dead. Come to us. We'll pray for you to come back to life, okay? Just whatever it is, we'll do it. That was a funny, okay? You guys, a little slow today. Come on, come on. 
And so, but, but whatever it is, so I'm not, because sometimes, and I want to say that because sometimes people grab like the supernatural and then they make it into, hey, let's apply it into something we can do. That's not what I'm saying. So when you cross norms, this is what's happening because it says that he went with Peter and John into the temple courts. So when we cross norms or boundaries, people go where they haven't been before. People go where they haven't been before when we cross those norms or boundaries. But what we do is we put people into categories like the lame man, like Peter and John. And then what happens is, is we want to see the world changed and we, we see certain things happening. You know, like um, heartbroken this week to see legislation about the life of, of unborn babies in New York. You know, and, and, and you, you, know, you see that in... And you, you, and, but with that said, there, listen, I want to tell too, there's no condemnation here. Because some people have history and, 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 and have experienced that themselves. And so, but my point is, is that getting angry and, and then going after and calling names, that accomplishes nothing. See, what we're sucked in today in the world is that it's, it's, the, it's, the, big, it's the big headlines. And then we, we're supposed to make a decision about it. Here's the thing. Go love somebody. Because guess what? People that um, have so much going on that they would kill a baby and they're in that state, they need to be loved. Right? They need to be loved. And there's people within legislation that fight those things and we need to pray and all that stuff for the sanctity of life, for all life. Because what happens within that battle and what happens in our passage here is we put into categories. Well, that's just that. Well, that's this. And the problem is, you guys, is that God defines what life is. God defines the worth. And terms are thrown around today. Well, this is okay. You know, these people are okay in the church. These people aren't. Are you in or are you out? Jesus actually, that's, he didn't actually teach that. That's a bounded set thinking. In other words, are you, are you in with Jesus or are you out with Jesus? When Jesus came on the scene, this is what he did. He actually tried to figure out, he would share with people the way to God. And he actually used a center set thinking. If you read scripture, it's not are you in or are you out, right? Before, that's how they looked. The out were actually seen to be in, the in were actually seen to be out. But it's actually where are you headed, not what religious activities are you doing or, you know, what have you done or how much have you given or how much have you served or how much, you know, how long have you been in the church or what worship songs do you have memorized or how much of the Bible have you read or, you know, or, you know how much, none of that. But where are you headed? Where are you in relation to the person, Jesus? That's what matters. And when we take that kind of thinking and cross norms, what happens is, is that people enter into places that they never would have entered into. And I've seen it for years because as I meet people, it's like, well, the church. Ah, I don't want to go to the church, right? The church is amazing, right? Now it is, like one friend said, you know, the church is kind of like porcupines trying to snuggle, okay? Right? It's, you have a bunch of messed up people. But how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that is that you have a place where People are going to confess, agree with God that his ways are right. 
And then they're going to allow his love to be transformed into their life and transform others. So when we cross norms, people get to go into that. And so you can fill in the blank of whatever norm that you, you know, try to is typically cut off from church or Jesus or religion or from your life or whatever. You know, my neighbor's not like me or they're not like me or they're this or they're that. Cross the norm. Cross the norm because here's the trick. That's where Jesus is. He's with that person that you may put on the other side. He's with that person. It's not a political thing. Just be real clear. Typically, stay in here for 20 years. Until I'm done, okay? You probably won't hear me ever talk politics. But I'll talk about Jesus and what he does a whole lot. You know, the refugees, you know, everybody get political about that. It's a border and those things. Here's the thing. Jesus is with them, right? So politics and all sorts of things, as followers of Jesus, we're going to, we love. I'm going to love the person in front of me. I'm going to love them. So we cross the norms. That's what happens when we build the kingdom of God. So this impacts on the street in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So look at this in verse 9. The people saw him. They recognized him. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him while the man held on to Peter and John. So he was running around. He was strengthened, but I think his muscles got tired, right? He says his bones came together, but now he's, he's kind of like, man, this is tough. You know, it's like he, he, he just ran a lap here, and he's, I, I got to hang on to you guys some. But people were astonished, and they came running to them. I mean, oh, for a preacher to have that. You know, just that people will come running. But it, it happens in church history. People come running to hear about Jesus. But it's when there's a bunch of people that say, we're going to cross those norms. Look it up. We're going to cross those lines, those social norms, the this is in or out or those things. It's when we open up and we love people that people come running to Jesus. So what's happening here when these people see this guy, but then they walk away, is, is their neural pathways are blown, right? In our brains, we have these neural pathways, and they're what help us to organize life. Because if we couldn't organize life, we would just be whacked out. I mean, we wouldn't be able to understand all the things that are coming at us. But we have certain things. And so these people that are walking to the temple all the time, they always see him there and he's the dude that sits there and asks for money, and he's carried there. That's what they always see. And now the guy that they've seen for 40 years, lame, is now running around and jumping. Th- their brains can't handle it. They're astonished. They're blown away. And that's what happens when we allow Jesus to be who he is. That's, that's really how Jesus is. Jesus doesn't fit into categories. So when we really come across the real Jesus... Our neural pathways are blown. Because in the only way that they aren't is when we put them to the category of uncategorized. Someone altogether and yet so near. Someone altogether separate and yet so near. Someone altogether powerful and yet so loving. Really, Jesus is a contradiction. 
but because he's God, he can do that. So this is what's important here is that it's Jesus that's alive and he healed this man. Jesus got out. Jesus is on the loose and he's the one doing this. Isn't that different than a lot of the times what we communicate as Christians to people? Right? It's like Jesus is at the building. Or Jesus tells you to do this. Or Jesus says to do this. Or, right? But now it's like, oh, he's doing stuff. He's out and about. He's all over the place. And then as Christians, we can just go out and, and look for him. Where's Jesus? Where is he today? And what's interesting is that Jesus probably passed by this man many times period of 40 years, maybe he started when he was 10, maybe a little bit older, and Jesus, just in the previous three years, would have walked past this guy many times. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Oh. He had this. God's timing is important in all of this, too. But Peter and John, they really love Jesus, and they know Jesus, so this isn't something that they had to ratchet up. They just, they just let it out. They just let it flow. And really, what Jesus did is, is that um, I think as he walked around with his disciples, Peter and John and others, is that he would do stuff, and then he would say, now it's your turn. And I remember, I remember as a kid, there was times where my dad and, and coaches and other, other men and women in my life, you know, there would just be something that just seemed so much bigger than what I could do. And then, yeah, here, your turn. Like I remember, the, I, I remember the moment when I was a kid and fishing, and I wanted to fish, and we went to this lake, and I think we caught like 40 bluegill. It was just, I mean, I, I thought fishing was so easy, right? But my dad set up the line. He's like, here. And then he kind of did it. Now it's your turn. And, you know, so I think, and the, the, the line catches on a tree back there. And, you know, but, but that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He's, he would go around loving people and healing people. And then he'd say, now it's your turn. Here. I remember um, with my boys at different times, I'll say, hey, w- you know, why don't we go over here and, and you can drive the car? What? I don't. I, I don't have a license. I, it's, just, it's just our driveway. It's okay. Really? And, you know, all of a sudden, wow, I want to be a grown-up, but now I've got this big vehicle, in, you know, in, in my hands. But that's what Jesus does. It's your turn. All right, wrapping this up, you know, what do we see here? Peter, Peter like, unpacks this for everyone. He unpacks and explains that it's Jesus that did this and that he got out because our minds typically want to say that it's a person or it's a certain thing. But it's Jesus' power that's doing this. And so in verse 12, we see that Peter meets people where they're at. In verse 12, he says, fellow Israelites. So he's letting them know, like, hey, I'm one of you, but something's changed here. Uh, Why does this surprise you? Uh, And he says, why do you stare at us as if by our power or godliness? So he's saying to them, raise your gaze. In other words, you're, you're staring at us like we did this. But you're misplacing this. You've gotten so used to following the ways of man. You've gotten so used to being like having a stopping point of what God is like because of what man tells you that you can't raise your gaze to say that Jesus is alive and he's here. We have that problem too. Where our intimacy with Jesus or, or how close we get to Jesus, it's because this person over here told us that we couldn't. Or this person put us into a category that told us we couldn't. And yet Jesus says, hey, if anyone would come to me, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me, and here's what their life will be like. Springs of living water will open up with inside them. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that you will be so close to God that He will take up residence in you. 
And he doesn't say, if anyone that fits into these three categories. He says anyone. And the church loves to like put categories. Right, but now you've got to do this. No, listen. If anyone will come to me. Right? Our job as the church is to love those people. If anyone will come to me, come to me. And that will happen. So raise your gaze. Look at Jesus doing something. What's he doing? And then he shares current events. He says, God has glorified Jesus, okay? In verse 13 we saw. And, but he says, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him. So in other words, you tried to put him in the grave, and you put him in the grave, but Jesus got out. You did everything you could to stop what, what this person was doing, but he got out. And he's on the loose. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. How awesome is that verse? You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And then he shares that it's Jesus. He got out. And he says in verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man has been healed and these things have happened. It's by him. It's not by us. And then verse 16 again, it is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that did this. And then lastly, Peter gets down to a response. And he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And he tells him, he says, look, what you did was in ignorance, even though it was all foretold. So he shares this whole plan. But then, and here's the thing, this is corny, but listen, it, it's not plan B, but it's plan A, Abraham. You can use that. There you go. It's plan Abraham. What he does at the end of this chapter is he goes in and he says, he says, he says that God said to Abraham that many nations will come out of you and the whole earth will be blessed. So what Peter does is you have this crowd and they're trying to put this into the category in their brains and he's saying, look, this isn't like some new thing that God decided to do, but this was his plan all along. It's the Abraham plan. It's not the B plan. This is what God was going to do because Abraham was supposed to be, it was supposed to come through him, but Abraham was totally flawed. And then the people that came through Abraham was, were totally flawed. And so the people said, give us a king. And the kings were totally flawed. But then, all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets and Samuel and others, that there would come one that was perfect, that would live out this covenant with God. And then all the nations of the world would be blessed. And all social norms would be crossed. And all nations would come to know Jesus. This is God's plan and what he did. And he offers it to all people. So how amazing is that? That that you guys, and I I know you're like, yeah, we get it, Cody. We get it. But listen, though, I don't know that I do. This morning I'm driving in here, and and it's always so pretty. It's just, you know, it's, it's always so beautiful. Just the sun is coming up and just the colors are going and, and you can see it and trees and it's just so beautiful. And, and I just had this moment. And I think that like we have to continue to have those moments because this Jesus that I'm going to talk about today, I'm looking around and I'm looking and I'm like, whoa, you made all of this 
So I'm not talking about a religion. You made all of this, and you were, and you came, and you still are, and you're here now. You're not far off, God, but you're here. And so I'm not going to interact with you as like history or somebody on the shelf, but I'm going to interact with you that you're here now. And if you're here now, I'm going to cross those norms. I'm not going to put people into categories. I'm not going to judge people. I'm going to love people with the love of Jesus because as I do that, I get that as well. You know, the historical Jesus, the Jesus that is alive, he, guys, he's so capable. He's able to sort out all the different kind of issues and you know, a lot of times, I think, I think people need to hear that. You know, it's wide open. You know, I, I, think, I think a lot of people that, like them hanging out at the gates or that maybe they've been around kind of religion like this guy at the temple gate, and, and, but he never got to enter in because of his category. And yet, what Jesus does is he, he takes that, he blows it out of the water, and he says, now come on in. And I think that's a message that we need to hear and that other people need to hear. And so let's receive it. Let's tell it. And again, you don't need training. You just need to be loved by Jesus. We want to be the best receivers of God's love. If you're saying, so what are you all about? I am the best receiver of God's love, right? I just love to catch God's love. These are sticky hands. I just, this is a sticky heart. I just love to receive God's love. What kind of people would be that way? What, what kind of neighborhoods would we have? What kind of workplaces we have if we just received God's love? Now know this. It happened because of the cross. And it happened because he overcame death itself. So it came at a great price and he did it to save us. Some people are hung up and we're going to end with this. If we can have the band come up. Some people get hung up on where it says repent. And then he'll save you from your sins. Here's the thing. Repenting sounds like it's a pretty gnarly word. But what it means is is, is to change directions. Repent and come to God. And then it says to save from your sins. Sometimes it can rise up within us. Well, it's like, well, well, I don't know. What if I don't see this as, as sins? Here's the thing. We get caught up in this. Some of it's bad teaching. What we're saved from, okay, I know it says sins, but don't get hung up on that. Sins is the result. It's the symptom. Like the things that we do, the things that we do that are unhealthy, the things that we do that don't love ourselves or or love other people, the things that we do, those things are a symptom of us trying to save ourselves. Is us trying to be righteous apart from God. Is we're trying to, I don't, it's, we wouldn't say it this way, but we've got this in us. That's the problem, is that I think I can be whole apart from God. That's what we're saved from. New Testament says, it said, Paul writes, he says, he says, look, there's a righteous, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it there's a righteousness that is not from man, but from God. So there's a way to be right with people and to be right with God that's from him, not from us. Right? Because what kind of hell would heaven be if we were all just kind of chilling out there and like, here's how I got here? 
here's what I did. But instead, in the person of Jesus, we can all come together, and he gives us this righteousness, his righteousness, that we can all know him. And so let's, let's stand together, if you can, and then um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll sing, sing a song here. Just in this moment, I, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to, to say yes to Jesus, okay? Uh, you may be saying yes after a while. It's like, hey, yeah, I'm in. I want to say yes to that. Um, or this may be the first time. And you recognize, you know, yeah, the doors are, doors are wide open. Doors are wide open. I'm ready. And so just say this prayer. And there's not, there's not power in the prayer, like the words, but it's the intent of your heart. The intent of your heart. Jesus said, if anyone will come to me, if you're thirsty. So if you're thirsty for Jesus today, then get ready to receive. And so pray this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, I believe you came. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I may not understand all of that, but I believe you did it. And I believe you love me. So I give you my life. I confess I need you. I confess that I've sinned against you. So I surrender my life to you. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to know you forever. Thank you for loving me. And so if you prayed that prayer today, I'd love to talk to you after. Share that with me. Um, if if you need a Bible or if you're like, hey, what do I do about this now? Love to talk to you. Love to talk to you. But let's worship some, and then afterwards we're going to have a time for um, for prayer. We always give that. So if you need physical healing, you need emotional healing, you need uh, chief's healing, uh, you know, whatever you need, we'll pray for you, okay? So afterwards, we're also going to take our offering right now, and we see that as a part of our worship where we give back to God because all things are His.